When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of When in Romance is brought to you by the Read Harder Reading Log by Book Riot. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed through these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. You can indulge your inner book book nerd and read a book about books, get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. You can find the Read Harder reading log by Book Riot in our show notes, and it will take you straight to Amazon so you can have one for your very own. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, your favorite place to go for romance recommendations, discussions, claims, news, whatever you want. Well, not whatever you want, but close to it, I think. I am Jess. And I am Trisha, and I think we do a pretty good job of giving people what they want. Eh. You're right. Maybe not everything, but we, we do try. We try. Um, and I have to tell you, Jess, I'm very excited because I'm drinking hot cocoa for like the first time somehow all winter. Oh, why didn't I think of that? It was actually cold here today. It was the the this morning when I left for work, it was 36 degrees. Wow. Yeah. Look at you in Arizona getting winter. I know. It's weird. Yeah. But of course, you know, it's taken months to actually get there because it's been unseasonably warm. Um, but now it's finally warm enough to cozy up with all of my books. <laughs> All of your books and all of your cocoa and maybe a little peppermint schnapps. I'm not going to tell anybody how to live their life. <laughs> you should, Trisha. You should. Um, well, maybe I will. Uh, I will tell you that we are living our lives by uh, practicing our 2019 New Year's resolution, which is to try to keep the show to a reasonable timeline. So <laughs> we can jump right in. But, Let's do it. Um, before we do, I do want to uh, – well, as part of – our show, I do want to do a little bit of follow-up. As I think you all know, um, we had a request that we could not meet on our recommendations show, which was for a romance with a um, protagonist who was Dominican. Thank you to uh, those of you who sent in recommendations. Um, we got one for a book that's coming out in March by Adrian Herrera. It's called American Dreamer. Um, and I actually just got an advanced copy of it, which I'm very excited about. So I will be able to tell you all about that in January. Jealous. Uh, I have a feeling we might be able to set you up too, Jess. Um, we also, I actually got, also got a couple of recommendations for a book called The Shameless Hour by Serena Bowen. Um, one of the folks, thank you to Andy on Twitter, and I also got a, a DM on Instagram, and I won't use that person's name in case they do not want me to. Uh, but that recommender actually mentioned that she is a Cuban reader and that the book worked for her, but she also did give the disclaimer that she may have missed nuances. So my understanding is that Serena Bowen is not Dominican. And so I think 
you know, just it, it may not be an own voices perspective, but this Cuban reader said for her, it was a good fit. So there's that one. And then we actually got a third recommendation, Jess, uh, which, <laughs> yeah, which, uh, might, which might transition us very, very well into our first topic of, of the day. Uh, our third recommendation was a, a little book called Pride by E.B. Zaboy. Magic. Which, I know. Funny story. As you might recall, Jess and I both mentioned on the last show that we had not yet read it, even though it was going to be our book club book. Funny story. Now we both have read it. And uh, one of the heroine of that book is uh, Dominican Haitian, I believe. Yes. yes so anyway, so here we are. It's time. That's the best transition, I think, that I can that we can manage in 2018. I think so. Yeah, that, that was so, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so we are. Yeah, we're very excited to be uh, talking about Pride as part of the great big romance read brought to us by One in Romance. And no, not One in Romance. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> um, it's sort of brought to us by One in Romance. It's even more brought to us by The Ripped Bodice, yeah. um, which is the bookstore out in LA that we've talked a lot about. So I don't know. You want to kick off that discussion, Jess? Why don't we? Let's let's um, do what I am actually really bad at and talk about what the book is about. Because <laughs> you know, hey, I, New Year's resolutions. We're New there. Year's resolutions. <laughs> I love jumping into all the little details and then forget about like explaining what the book is about. So this is this is my time. I am going to tell you, Pride by E.B. Zaboy. If you did not know, have not yet read, or could not tell, is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice, set in good old New York. Um, and we have our young couple. They're both teenagers. You have Zuri Benitez, who is our Haitian-Dominican heroine. And we have Darius Darcy, who has just moved in across the street with his wealthy family, who's just fixed up a, a rundown old mansion. And they do not hit it off. No, they do not. <laughs> they do not. Um, but Zori's sister, Janae, who is home from her first year of college, and Darius's brother, Ainsley, do, in fact, hit it off. But you know what happens if you know the story of Pride and Prejudice. Things happen, and it, they are encouraged to no longer hit it off. To go their separate ways. To go their separate ways. That's yeah. a better way to say that. Thank you, Trisha. Both work. <laughs> Both options are good. So, and, you know, it hits a bunch of the beats of Pride and Prejudice, um, which are boy meets girl, boy and girl do not enjoy each other's company, but are forced into it. Things happen. Classism happens. They go their separate ways. They come back to each other. There is a crisis. There is a, another man who likes to talk crap. And then everything ends well. And that's the story. I I could probably tell it a little more nicely, but those are the I beats. I think that's a perfect. I think that's a perfect foundation. Good for you, Jess. You rocked it. Well yes. done. Cheers. So let me ask you this, because I... Knowing that this was a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, I okay. So don't at me. Mm -hmm. I don't love Pride and Prejudice. Like <laughs> it's, I think it is fine. Like <laughs> Elizabeth Bennett is a lovely feminist heroine. Colin Firth is very <laughs> handsome in all of the wet shirts. Like that's wonderful. 
I think that's great. But the problem that I have with Pride and Prejudice, and I mentioned this in an email to you, I had a little bit at the beginning of Pride. I did get over it by the end, which we can talk more about. But the problem I have with Pride and Prejudice, I am well established to be a person who enjoys a nice, non-surly, not cranky, prideful or prejudiced, I don't remember which is which, hero (laughs) who's just like nice. Uh So I'm much more of like the Ainsley that's the older brother's name, right? It's Ainsley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm much more of like him. He's lovely. He comes, he chats, he's happy. He does like his goofy, cheesy dancing and he's great. I, so that, so that has always been a little bit of a sticking point for me with Pride and Prejudice. I, with this book, felt that a little bit at the, the beginning, but realized as I was reading it that I did the same thing with Pride as I think you did and as I did with Pride and Prejudice when I read it seven, eight, 15, however many years ago, which was... <laughs> I was really slow to read the first half, and then I read the second half essentially in one sitting, mm-hmm. um, which is you had mentioned to me that you did that too. So anyway, that is my background with Pride and Prejudice, which I think might have influenced my reading of this book a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where are you on Pride and Prejudice? See, here's the thing. Pride and Prejudice is one of my foundational readings. I read it the first time freshman year of high school for some kind of English class that I had to write about it for. And then some kind of way it found me again junior year of high school and I had to write about it. But I was writing about it in as a basis for pastiche because I had just discovered Bridget Jones's diary. And mm-hmm. while looking at adaptations and retellings and all of that, I came across fan fiction. And for oh. several years following, um, the, my primary recreational reading was Pride and Prejudice fan fiction. So sure. I, I have kind of a uh, different perspective than you do. And uh, I, I have uh, like... I also have hesitations about this book because of that perspective. Um, mm. One of those things is I kind of forgot that Elizabeth Bennet is kind of frustrating for the mm. first half of the book. And Zuri Benitez is the narrator of this book. And mm-hmm. therefore, I wanted to throw it mm-hmm. multiple times for the majority yep. of the book. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was just kind of like, She's young, she's growing, she's not an all-knowing narrator, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you had to, like, adjust yourself to getting why she feels the way that she feels and why she says the things that she says and why she believes the things that she believes. And mm-hmm. I had to sort of, like, get over that hurdle to actually enjoy the story. Um yeah. But that's any case of any story that is retelling Pride and Prejudice because there's this whole, like, classism, this is my home, and you've come in and invaded it and insulted it and that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's that's yeah. where I come from. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think that's a really good point. I think because I mentioned that Darius, in the same way that Mr. Darcy, is very, to me, sort of obnoxious. Zuri is is a little bit you have to kind of like you said you have to sort of try to figure out where she's coming from and and where she's the um thing that Evie Zavoy does really beautifully is that it's not hard to see where she's coming from so no. the Darcy family because Darius's last name is Darcy as <laughs> Jess mentioned the Darcy family has moved into this sort of 
mansion across the street in this very rapidly gentrifying Brooklyn neighborhood where Zuri's family has been her entire life in the same house that essentially it's they don't have a lot of money. Like they, mm-hmm. they have one bedroom, which is where her parents sleep. And then the living room has been converted into a bedroom for the five girls. And then they have sort of a dining slash kitchen area. So it's, it, they don't have a lot of space, but there's a tremendous amount of love in their house. Mm-hmm. And Zuri is seeing her neighborhood and her home changing very rapidly with wealthy people and white people and a lot of different kinds of folks moving in. And that's a, a really difficult thing for her to figure out she's she's frustrated she's angry she's um wishes that it would not shift that way Mm -hmm. which i thought was a really good for many audiences relatable lens through which to kind of tell this story Mm -hmm. absolutely um so yeah i thought and it's interesting that you mention kind of trying to figure her out because she's 17 in this book and so i think i was more likely to have more patience with her because she is a teenager. She's still figuring some things out. She's making a lot of really good points and articulating them in, a, in some really beautiful poetry. And so I was like, you know, it's actually kind of neat that this story is being told as YA. That kind of works. Mm-hmm. And then I looked up how old Elizabeth Bennett was in the original Pride and Prejudice. Do you know? I am not one in 20. She is 20. <laughs> so <laughs> granted, it was a different time and 20 at that point was maybe a greater percentage through your life than it is now for many <laughs> folks. But like Pride and Prejudice is at best new adult. Yeah. Like, there's, there's, it's essentially also young adult fiction. Um, but anyway, so I, I thought that was interesting too, that this is actually a YA retelling these the Darcy well Darius and and uh, Zuri are still both in high school which is I thought a a good lens it made a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. and you know the other thing that I go into any story that is Pride and Prejudice based looking for fits well with high school students which is like this whole self discovery self growth kind of thing um, because one of the core you know, the essences of Pride and Prejudice is like people can change and grow and still be at the core who they are. And I have to say, I was looking for that in this book and didn't always find it. Mm -hmm. I actually found it more with Zori than I did with Darius. And I don't know if that's because she was the narrator. And Mm -hmm. so we got to see every inner piece of her thoughts, whereas we only saw of Darius what she saw of Darius. But he kind of seemed like the same dude from the beginning to the end. And it just happened that at one point they decided to talk to each other. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I noticed the same thing. Like I kept waiting for there to be more backstory for why he was kind of a jerk. Uh, (laughs) It was the best, I think, uh, non-explicit rating term I can use for her um, at, at the beginning. Like I kept waiting for there to be some more explanation for that other than he was just kind of a jerk, but he eventually decided he likes Zuri, right? Like, mm-hmm. and you know what I wondered is that you're right. You, you mentioned in your, in your fantastic synopsis that this book hits a lot of the same beats as Pride and Prejudice, right? You have um, his grandmother is very much the like Lady Catherine character. Mm-hmm. And there's the other Wickham style guy who's named Warren in this book, right? Yes. Mr. Wickham, who turns out to, to again be kind of a jerk after um, 
uh, Zuri thinks that he's a good guy. He turns out not to be. Like Lydia, who is Elizabeth's sister in the original, turns into Layla in the book. But all of those things felt a little bit more shallow, which isn't, it's not necessarily a dig. It's just a shorter book. So there was less time to build some of the depth into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I almost wondered if as much, as much as I appreciated that I could like recognize those patterns and those beats in the story, I almost wondered if it was at the expense of being able to tell a more nuanced story that was a little bit smaller. Mm. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, totally. I think that's what it is because, you know, as if I were going into this and I knew absolutely nothing about Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. I would just be reading it as the story of these two people who live across the street and mm-hmm. eventually get to know each other and come to like each other a lot. Um, and I wouldn't, I would probably wonder at, at some of those beats that were hit, like, mm-hmm. Especially the Warren thing, which is very brief in both sections. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it. I think you're right. It does come at a price of actually building out the story to actually hit all of those beats. Which isn't to say this isn't a good story. Like, Oh, it's, no, it's a great story. It's, yeah. it's well written. It's wildly compelling. As mm-hmm. as Trisha mentioned, um, I I was slow to read maybe the first hundred pages, and then the rest of it was just like, oh hey look, my husband's gone to bed. It's really dark and really cold, and I guess I should too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it really is a. Um, it's not. It's not a particularly long. It's. I want to say the I, the Kindle average reading length or something is like four hours. It's. Mm-hmm. It reads relatively quickly. It is very compelling. And one of the things that I thought that um, we kind of touched on this earlier, but one of the things that I thought E.B. Zavoy did really well was kind of this reflection on gentrification in urban areas. You know, I. This may well be true of you as well. I'm more familiar with Washington, D.C., where I've lived for the last 10 or 12 years Mm -hmm. than New York. Um, But that's absolutely a a very real phenomenon of – I don't want to give anything away about how this book ends or any of – how things happen or twists or anything that happened. But there's a a very real impact on families and on people and on the culture of neighborhoods Mm -hmm. when new – wealthy people, often white people, or, you know, like people who have not lived in a place before move in and oftentimes people get pushed out. And I thought one of the things that was really smart about this book was that even though there are times when people push back a little bit on Zuri and say like, why can't you just let the neighborhood grow or progress or whatever? No one ever, there's not a resolution to that really. Like Mm -hmm. I thought both the positives and negatives of that kind of growth are highlighted mm-hmm. without any sort of definitive value judgment of which thing is better. Yeah, right? absolutely. And it's funny because Bushwick is kind of a character in this book. Like, Evie's mm-hmm. a boy builds out this environment that is their home and you sort of hear the sounds and smell the smells and dance to the rhythm and all of that. Even if you've never been to Bushwick, um, I, I could sort of pull this up because I sort of half 
grew up in a similar neighborhood in Queens, right? Where it's just like the people on the corner all know each other and they know everything that's happening. And you go down to the bodega and you say hi to everybody and that kind of thing. And uh, like that whole environment is one of the greatest bits of storytelling in the book actually and to see see the little things that Zuri is seeing change about that and all of the the little tiny things that are happening like you know the the guys down the street call the police when we tried to open the the fire hydrant and we could never do it again and that kind of yeah. thing mm-hmm. you know it's like all yeah. these like years old traditions of that kind of neighborhood that are slowly getting pulled away from them mm-hmm. um because of the new people that are coming in. Yeah. And so for for the folks who are like me and up until, you know, the last 10 years or so did not realize Bushwick is a neighborhood of Brooklyn, which is a borough of New York City. So New York City is a place where there are essentially five large neighborhoods, which have many smaller neighborhoods within them, which if you are like me and grew up in a relatively small rural town, the idea that you're neighborhoods could have neighborhoods is a little (laughs) bit astonishing. But one of the things that I was thinking about when I was reading this book is that I don't actually know if it matters if some of the pieces of the story are relatable to rural audiences. It may well not be for them, but I think it actually really could be because of a lot of what you were just saying, that everybody has their space in their community that they know and are familiar with, like Mm -hmm. in the same way that, you know, in my hometown, even when I go in a week or two for Christmas, I, there's a very good chance that I will run into somebody that I grew up with or went to high school with at the grocery store in the same way that happens in a bodega in Bushwick, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a, even if the landscape is a little bit different, it's a feeling and an experience that people can relate to of when the, the community that they grew up in is starting to shift. What does that mean and how does that impact, you know, your life and how you feel about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know, any any last parting thoughts about Pride? I thought that this was a really great addition to the Pride and Prejudice retelling canon mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. the YA canon at large, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there need there need to be more of this kind of story. And until there are an entire bookcase's worth of them. I don't want to hear anyone tell me that's been done before. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you're 100% right. And I think when Rebecca Weatherspoon was on our show a couple of episodes ago, she was talking about how she is 100% here for these kinds of retellings, particularly that feature people of color, because a lot of times you do get Bridget Jones's diary, which is lovely, mm-hmm. but also... Bridge is pretty white. Like, let's be honest. Like, even um, our good friend Colin Firth, also pretty white. Right? Like, so why not be a little bit more inclusive when you're telling what is um, an exceptional story in Western literature? Absolutely. So um, so anyway, we definitely, I think both of us highly recommend Bride by Evie's Boy for anyone who hasn't read it. Absolutely. Go ahead and read it and then come back and re-listen to this first 20 minutes of When in Romance and... Uh, you know, listen to all of the other many podcasts and um, book discussions that are going on this month. Um, huge thanks again to B and Leah at Thrift Bodice for letting us be a part of the Great Big Romance Read. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you have thoughts or want to counter anything that we've said over the 
um, over the next couple weeks, then feel free to shout shout us out on Twitter or Instagram or send us emails. And remember to include um, our hashtag, When in Romance, and the Great Big Romance Read hashtag. 100%. And you can comment in the show notes as well. That too. So um, thank you again. Two, all the thumbs up for Pride. Uh, and... Perhaps we should talk about a, our, our show sponsor, Jess. Yes. Yes, we should. So um, thank you. This episode is sponsored by Dirty Little Secret by Jennifer Ryan. Uh, John Cordero groomed his stepson Noah to take over his Montana ranch one day. But when John unexpectedly dies, he leaves half the ranch to Roxy, his daughter Noah never knew about. Hmm. Inheriting mm-hmm. a ranch from her estranged father means Roxy now shares a home with infuriating, challenging, and oh-so-tempting Noah. But the secrets don't end there. John also owned the notorious Wild Rose Ranch, a brothel in Nevada, where, the Ro- where Roxy grew up and made it part of her inheritance. As their strictly business relationship starts to turn to true love, Roxy wonders what will happen when Noah discovers her dirty little secret. So I, I have to tell you, I'm like all in on this book. I'm very, <laughs> so I've read a few books by Jennifer Ryan. She's very much the like sort of Western cowboy romance. And this uh, book that is um, all about like it has brothels and ranches and like secret siblings mm-hmm. and all of the secrets and I um I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I I am too actually. I've read a couple of Jennifer Ryan's, but they've been more more on the romantic suspense side. Mm-hmm. And while I enjoy romantic suspense, I am much more about the hey, guess what? We have to share this house that we inherited together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. And mm-hmm. if you are too, you can check out Jennifer Ryan on Twitter at uh, Jen Ryan underscore author. Um, she's also on Facebook at Jennifer Ryan author. So thanks again. Dirty Little Secret by Jennifer and Ryan. And it comes out, so I think this episode comes out on the 17th of December. Um, I'm pretty sure Dirty Little Secret comes out on the 18th. So just, you know, wait up until midnight. Yeah. Read it. Download Abs- it. Read it. Absolutely. You don't need to work the next day. Exactly. Speaking of not working the next day, oh my gosh, you're going to be so impressed by this transition. Uh, so Book Riot is actually going to be uh, closed down from um, between Christmas Day and New Year's Day, mm-hmm. which means that we are, will not be putting up a new episode of this show again in 2019. This is our last episode of 2019. Uh, and This is 2018, to- Trisha. Oh my God, how did that happen? Okay, so this is our last, so this is not our last episode of 2019, but it is our last episode of 2018. We still have many episodes to go in 2019. Yes, we do. I give up on all of time. Um, but anyway. It feels so, like it should be 2019. Does that sort of undermine how impressive that transition was, given that I had the year wrong? Nah. It could have been great, you guys. It could have been great. Let's pretend. Let's pretend. Um, so anyway, uh, this is our last episode of 2018, the year that we're actually in right now. Um, and so Jess and I figured that we would just take a few minutes to reflect a little bit on the year in romance in 2018. Uh, so we just had a couple of, of pieces of things that we kind of we did some sort of superlatives of, you know, for example, some of the happiest romance news of the year or the strangest romance news of the year. Mm-hmm. Um 
And I can start unless you want to, Jess. You go for it. All right. Well, one of the the things that I wanted to highlight as one of the happiest pieces of romance news of the year uh, was a thing where I did want to give credit where it is due. Uh, We came down pretty hard on the New York Times a few times, especially early in 2018, which, again, Mm -hmm, is the year mm -hmm. that we are currently in. Uh, And... The New York, particularly actually in the fall of 2017, which is about a year ago when they did some coverage that was a little underwhelming, but credit where it's due. The New York Times has absolutely gotten its act together. Um, they've been doing some some really great coverage. They did a cover story talking about inclusion and diversity and romance featuring Helen Wong, among a number of other um, authors in their most recent review section. They included Rafe, which is you, as you know, is a book that we love by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa Cole's book, um, was it a princess in theory? I think it was a princess in theory. It was a princess in theory. Yeah. was named one of their top 50 fiction reads of the year, not just romance, like all of fiction, mm-hmm. which may be the first time that a romance genre title has been included in that list. Um, so anyway, I am willing to get, and I will also say that there is, uh, continuing positive, um, coverage in other venues like entertainment weekly. So I think folks are starting to get the memo a little bit on romance and Mm -hmm. I think that is all to the good. That is one of my happiest romance news stories of the year. That is indeed happy. Good work, New York times. Mm -hmm. And good work, Jamie. Yes. And what is Jamie's last name? I can't remember. Do you know? No. The person who does? Okay. Jamie from the New York Times. We will link to your column. I should, but I keep thinking it's Reed, and I know that's an author's name. Oh. See, there's just a lot of names to keep track of. But we will link to her column, and that will probably do the New York Times better anyway. Green with an E. Oh, see? Right? Right? I I don't know. why Why don't you continue on, and I'll take a quick look and find out. Okay, so let's talk about... What Trisha and I think are the weirdest is the weirdest romance story of 2018, mm-hmm. um, which isn't weird, but just kind of like, uh, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just as a quick rundown, because this this is ended, it's over, we're kind of done with it. Um, a debut YA author said something about Nora Roberts. They fixed it. It was done. But in the process of that, some other, like, YA Twitter got involved and Romance Twitter got involved. One of the members of Romance Twitter who got involved was Beverly Jenkins, who, you know, just said this happened. And someone who did not check out Beverly Jenkins' uh, profile or use Google or think before speaking... Um, you know, mentioned that the author in question was um, a Nigerian-American woman and she, you know, that had some some element of why this was a big deal. And, and Spev was just kind of like, what? And so the person responded and said, I think you need to acknowledge that your white privilege is, is part of why you are responding to this in this way. And... I think everyone on Twitter, like there was a universal worldwide gasp and like push back away from the table. Um, and yeah, because <laughs> if this is your first episode of One in Romance, Beverly Jenkins is not white. No, in fact, she is um, probably the most prominent 
She's one of the most prominent romance writers, full stop. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say maybe the most prominent woman of color writing romance. Probably. Probably. Maybe ever. Mm -hmm. At least for the past 20, 23 or 4 years. Yeah. So... So that was a moment. (laughs) Yeah, that was a moment. That was a moment. (laughs) And um, Jess is being uh, more kind and discreet than I am, but the, the, the other romance author involved was Nora Roberts, and I think people started to sort of get up and a little bit be like, okay, hang on now. This is a little bit strange. Like Nora Roberts is not trying to capitalize on anybody's success. She does okay. Uh, (laughs) And the only thing I think that you can do on romance Twitter that is maybe less wise than going after Nora Roberts is going after Beverly Jenkins. Because there were so many people that like sat back and were just like, well, I'll get up my popcorn and watch and see how this plays out. Until somebody called out Beverly Jenkins and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this that is not, is you, not you how do. this works. No. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a truly truly bizarre story from a couple of weeks back. We, we didn't talk about it on our last podcast cause we were doing all recommendations, but, uh, yeah, a uh, very strange, I would not have guessed that 2018, which again is the year that we are in, uh, <laughs> would be a year where we where <laughs> Beverly Jenkins needed to, to clarify anything about her white privilege. Yeah. 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 It was just an odd moment in time <laughs> for everyone it was involved. Indeed. Yeah. It was indeed. Well, and I think we can agree, too, that the uh, cocky gate situation was also very strange. We don't yes. need to go into the details because we've addressed it a number of times. But um, I think you may have gotten the same uh, email that I did, just kind of putting a little bit of a cap on that from Penny Reed, actually, mm-hmm. um, who is an author who is involved in that. There had been a... Um, it, well, when the cocktails was it called cocktail? I think it's called cocktails. the cocktails anthology mm-hmm. uh, came out. They were part of the idea behind that was to raise money for authors who needed to pay legal fees related to that, um, you know, whole cocky gate situation. Um, and in her most recent newsletter, Penny Reed actually clarified that ten um, percent of the proceeds from that were, were earmarked for authors directly impacted. But as of the deadline, November twentieth, none of the no authors had come forward to request reimbursement. So instead, uh, the they were going to be donating eighteen grand, which they did okay on that cocktails anthology. So good for them mm-hmm. um, to the Bookworm Box, which helps the world do good and worthy things. Yes, yes, they do. So that is both a happy and weird story from 2018. Yes. We love happy weird. Happy weird is fun to talk about. That's true. <laughs> oh, and as it turns out, Jamie Green is the correct name, but there is no E. It's there just, is well, no E. Actually, okay, to be fair, there are two E's, but there's <laughs> Not no at the, e end. At the end. Right. G-R-E-E-N. Um, I was so, so close. <laughs> you were. And we will still link to uh, either her Twitter profile or the New York Times piece depending on how I feel about paywalls mm-hmm. on Sunday. <laughs> um, what else do you want to talk about from this year, Jess? Oh, gosh. That, those, were, those were some of the key points of this year. Um, I guess I just wanted to throw out something personal as far as 2018 goes. 2018 was the year of a surprising 
type of romance for me that I enjoyed that I wasn't expecting to. Um, and that was second chance romance. I've never oh. really been a big fan. Um, I am a malicious grudge holder who is vengeful and wants people to suffer when they do bad things. Um, sure. and we've all been there. And historically I've brought that to my romance preferences and approach them with a, they don't deserve it kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I have been exposed to some really great second chance romances this year. Um, Things like Once Upon a Marquis and Rend, which I talked about last time, which isn't so much second chance, but it is about a couple that is already together. Um, But, you know, they aren't really in danger of breaking up so much as they're in danger of losing what they had. Um, And then, of course, Damaged Goods, which I think I also talked about last time. Yes. Um, And one thing that I realize about a lot of the ones that I've enjoyed this year is that it wasn't their fault. That mm. that they lost their first chance. So that that that's something I learned about myself. If it's not their fault, if there are extenu- extenuating circumstances that break them apart, I am cool with pulling them back together. Now, if either of the people involved in the relationship has done something, I might still be a vengeful grudge holder. But we'll see. In the new year. Who knows? In the new year, which is either 2019 or 2020. We're not sure. Not sure. Uh, who knows? You have all kinds of options coming in the new year. Absolutely. I will. My last note on this year uh, is also a, if I can make a personal note as well, which is I am so very proud of all of you because when we started this podcast, there were approximately 20 when in romance hashtags on Instagram, and they were all a bunch of randos falling in love, mostly in Europe. But now we have reclaimed the hashtag, as was our goal, and we are at nearly 350 when in romance tags. So uh, I, you know, all to the good and even more in 2019. But I'm very proud of all of you, and I'm very grateful that you are all invested both in this show and also in this hashtag. Me too, and thank you for being better at it than me, because I think every three (laughs) books that I post on Instagram is actually hashtagged with when in romance. That's my goal for 2019. Excellent. And I think also on a personal level, this has been, um, I I don't want to speak for you, Jess, but this is very fun. We're very glad that we get to do this. And any time that we hear from anybody who's listening or... um, having a fun time with along with us it is just a lovely moment so one of the highlights of my year just as a whole has been getting to do this and hang out with all of you absolutely same everything trisha said super highlight um including you know being able to post photos of me with maleficent mini ears and captain america Frankly, that's been a highlight of my year also, is your ability to do that. So so as our gift to you, we will leave uh, you this this 2018, uh, December of 2018, with some holiday uh, romance recommendations. Yes. So we kind of figured that the way to do this was to tell you, so there are so many holiday romances out there, right? Mm-hmm. It can be a little bit overwhelming to figure out which you should be reading at what time. Yep. So Jess and I are going to help you. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the first book that I'm going to recommend to you is your very best book for long travel, whether it's on an airplane or a train, potentially in a car, but maybe if you're not driving. Uh, <laughs> and that book is Sarah Morgan's The Christmas Sisters. 
So this book is great for a number of reasons. It, I had forgotten how much I like Sarah Morgan. Some of her other books are a little bit more lighthearted. This one's just a little bit more dramatic. It also falls in the category of, I think you can call it romance, but I also think that you could call it contemporary fiction with romantic elements mm. um, because it has a lot of the trademarks of uh, romance, but there is no explicit sex on the page, which is especially helpful if you're sitting in a very close airline seat to somebody else because you know people are reading over your shoulder. We all <laughs> do it. We've all had it done to us. <laughs> so if you don't necessarily want to have that going on. So a quick, just very quick synopsis. So there's a um, um, mother of three adult daughters, well, two parents of three adult daughters, but the focus is on the mom who is uh, waiting for all three of her daughters. One of them lives in uh, the same Scottish town that she lives in, but the other two are in New York and all three of them are supposed to come back for the holidays. And it is a matter of mostly joy for the mom, but she's also kind of stressed out about it. And this is a great story because you get alternating, um, narratives, so this, each of the sisters tells some of the stories. The mom tells some of the, I'm sorry, uh, narrates some of the chapters. The mm-hmm. mom narrates some of the chapters. And it's a great book because you start to put the pieces together a little bit at a time, which is a thing that I love in books. So, for example, um, one of the sisters tells the other one very, another one very early on, listen, if you're going to buy presents for my kids, they have to be equal. Like one of the presents can't be better than the other. And the sister responds and says, I'm the last person that you would need to tell that to. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, we're going to find out why eventually and you do, but it turns out to be not quite the reason that you would have expected. And there's another kind of twist that happens late in the book. So in addition to being, um, a good long read, this one's also very immersive. So you could easily start it, uh, at the beginning of a six hour flight and then not even realize when you were landing at SeaTac or wherever you are going for, for your holiday season. So um, big recommendation if you are traveling any long distances or honestly, if you just want to sit on the couch for six hours because you have a cold, which is when I read this, uh, <laughs> Sarah Morgan's The Christmas Sisters is the book for you. Awesome. Awesome. So if you are one of those great people who literally hides in the closet when you visit your family. Maybe spend a couple hours sitting on the floor of said closet with A Family for Christmas by Jay Northcote. It is a um, British set novel um, featuring characters Zach and Rudy. Zach has been on his own for a long time. He's very much a loner, um, grew up in the system, you know, doesn't have any family really and you know he just he likes to keep to himself and rudy has an enormous crush on zach and they actually like sort of have a an interesting night where they maybe drink a little too much and you know discover that they get along pretty well but then the holidays are coming and rudy can't help but invite zach to his family's for christmas so zach literally has a family for Christmas. Like, there isn't. Um, But then there's also this beautiful dynamic of Rudy's family, who are just, like, the most delightful group of people. And there is actually a a very fun scene in a closet during a family game. So if you like to hang out in the closet to hide from your family, hide with this book, A Family for Christmas. I think that sounds lovely. I don't even think we have closets appropriately sized in my house, but I'll, we have a, a small 
den, maybe? <laughs> well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, so uh, the book that I picked, if you are trying to inspire yourself to give someone you love or yourself a tattoo for Christmas, <laughs> you need to find your way to Mary Inkmas by Talia Hibbert. Gosh, we've talked about her a million times. <laughs> Talia Hibbert wrote Mary Inkmas, uh, which is our tattoo book of the day. Um, and this book is delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently has also been free. So if you are listening to this podcast as quickly as possible, go down there, load yourself a coffee. So it's about Bailey and Cash. Um, Bailey is working at the beginning of a book at a, at a coffee shop um, that Cash comes into every day to get a fancy coffee, which I don't want to spoil anything, but later she realizes that he actually doesn't drink fancy coffee. He doesn't like it. <laughs> He's only been going there to talk to Bailey. Um, and as on the first in the first scene of the book, uh, Bailey actually either gets fired or quits her job because she's trying to be helpful to um, a man who is a friend of hers who's come into the, the shop a few times um, who is homeless. And so she's just trying to get him some coffee, help him warm up. But her manager is the most jerky of one-dimensional jerks. <laughs> and he's like, this person has to leave. And so she's like, okay, fine, I'm leaving too. And so Cash offers her a job at the tattoo parlor The Cash owns and operates um and apparently he spends a lot of time drawing pictures of bailey uh this book is wonderful it is also incredibly satisfying it has one of the most satisfying endings Mm -hmm. of any book the epilogue is lovely but there's also like two or three pages at the very end of the pre-epilogue section that are randomly narrated by they're told from the perspective of a very random person Mm -hmm. but it is the most delightful so so great (laughs) It's, you're sort of like, wait, who is the... Oh, this is from this person's perspective. Oh, that's amazing. It's wonderful. The epilogue, like I said, is absolutely delightful, too. Ties up a lot of loose ends. So if you are trying to inspire yourself uh, or someone you love to get a tattoo this holiday season, trust me when I tell you that Cash's Tattoo Shop will will provide the inspiration that you need. That's that's a great place to go. Um my next recommendation is um, for those of us who just love cupcakes so much. Um, and that Which is, is hopefully all of us. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand that there are people who don't. I don't understand you, but I acknowledge you. And nice. that is Wrapped by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Um, it's set in the world of her Fit trilogy. Um which is also delightful if you've read that, but you don't have to have read it um, to read Wrapped, which is a nice 120-page novella that you can also sit um, in your family closet with and read for a couple hours if you like, or just, you know, take it with you wherever you're going or to the couch or sneak minutes at a time while you're at work, whatever you need to do, because this book is just that delightful. Um, so this book features Shay, a pastry chef, um, and Aiden, an IT guy that she used to work with. Hey, look, it's kind of second chance, but not really because they didn't have a first chance. She was married. He was probably dating, but now they can hang out. Um, so they actually link on a dating app and she's like i know this guy we used to work together and i was so attracted to him um and he has similar thoughts and they hit it off and it is christmas time and that's all you really need to know about that and there are cupcakes 
lots and lots and lots of cupcakes and tarts and Danish and other things, but mostly cupcakes that will make you salivate and need to find the closest bakery. So just make sure you know where that is before you start to read. Important advice from Jess Pride. Mm-hmm. Know where your bakeries are. Absolutely. Um, and so I will throw in one more just relatively quickly, but uh, the book to help you prepare if you think you're going to run into your the crush that you had while you were doing your high school job uh if if you're gonna run into that person over the holidays especially if they're single (laughs) and you are also single is lighting the flames by sarah wendell Uh is actually a hanukkah romance um Featuring, featuring Genevieve and Jeremy, who worked at the same uh, Jewish overnight camp um, when they were in their definitely high school years, possibly college years as well. And they have to come back together to help support it, um, raise some money, or they may be trying to close the camp and they're trying to help out. I don't remember the exact details, but they are in a shocking turn of events called back to it around <laughs> Hanukkah. And they're going to work together. And he had like left unexpectedly right when they're started to be some chemistry between them and she doesn't know exactly what happened. So there's misunderstandings. Um, this is another one that's relatively short. I might be a little longer than a novella, but it's, um, not super long. It won't take you a really long time to read. It's lovely and spiritual in a lot of ways that, um, I'm not Jewish, I'm Catholic, but that I also, I still really connect with. Mm-hmm. Jeremy is actually, um, a, as an adult, he's a mortician, which turns out to be a really lovely thing because he and Jen can talk about, life and grief and it's like i said there's just a a really lovely spiritual element to this book so no matter what your faith background is if you are looking for something like that this holiday season and also if you think you might be running into uh your high school you know crush from your summer job (laughs) uh lighting the flames by sarah wendell is a great book to pick up and read excellent awesome i am looking forward to reading i think all of no i've read yeah, two of the yeah. ones that you have recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I think that is, uh, in keeping with our, our brand new 2019, not 2020, resolution to uh, keep our podcast at a reasonable amount of time, I think that's probably it for us for today and also for the year. That is it for the year. And what a way to go, right? Um, thank you so much for listening in this past year. It's been super fun and delightful and thrilling to actually interact with people in such a way and trisha you have been awesome to talk to for hours at a time uh (laughs) (laughs) i know that's like the saddest thing is that i actually really like talking to you for an inappropriate length of time absolutely we'll just have to do it on our own time instead of everyone else's yes Um, yes but i echo what jess said this is is very fun um it is exceptionally lovely to get to do this with you jess and if you are all enjoying it too feel free to you know rate and review or recommend the podcast to other people or just come back in january because our next episode uh will come out actually on my birthday which is january 14th so mark your calendars more for the podcast than for my birthday because i understand that you guys probably aren't super invested in that and that's fine um but yeah so in the meantime yeah feel free to connect with us on twitter i am uh on or on instagram i'm on instagram at trisha haley brown and on twitter also at trisha haley brown but there's no o in brown because you know character limits things we learned in 2018 yes twitter has character limits yep i am on twitter at Jess's reading 
And I am on Instagram at just underscore is underscore reading because somebody else is just as reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So maybe we'll fix both of those problems in 2019, Jess. The people maybe. that stole the non-underscore names and the Twitter uh, character limits. Absolutely. But in the meantime, we hope that you have been enjoying and continue to enjoy whatever holidays uh, connect with you. Happiest of New Year's and happy reading. Happy reading, everyone.